it is my heartwarming Fang family read of this year. There's usually only just one. So for like two days, my stone cold heart melt a little bit. Um, so I'm calling this this day House of the Surrealism of 2021. It is. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Keep It Fictional with the Port Moody Public Library. So we are recording on December 3rd. Yeah, this is the time of the year when I have to start writing 2022 and I, that does not compute, don't understand what's going on there. While I am not quite ready to give this year up yet, not because this year is awesome, but it's just... <laughs> It's just that every year I'm just not quite there yet. But we are here. We are ready, I think, maybe, to celebrate the books that were published in 2021 that we love. Now, at the end of the year, usually there are tons of best of lists out there. But these four lists are special because they are our lists. They are personal, personal lists, books that made a difference in our lives. And this is going to be a two-parter. So tune in this week and next week where we will share with you our top five books of the year. Now, I'm always grateful for books. I think all my book friends are too. And, you know, it is what really, especially this year, I think it's what got me through the year. You know, like I just need something to really focus on, something to like get obsessed over. And that was what it is, is books, you know, and knowing that there are other stories that I can jump into and escape and hide from this other weird world that we lived in was great. Every morning, waking up at four o'clock, I know there's a good story waiting for me, a good cup of coffee, and that's really what started my day, what got me going this year. So really, really thankful for books. We'll talk a little bit more about our reading year in just a bit. I'm here today with Liz, Corinne, and Fiona. And I just want to acknowledge that, yes, there are only three book friends here. We are missing a dear book friend. We are missing Sadie. And you might have noticed in the last few weeks, we are definitely missing one. And it feels wrong, still feel very wrong to us. But Sadie is on a leave for a very happy reason. Um, so, you know, she's doing well. And uh, she will rejoin us in a year or so. So I think in the next year, one of us will have to pick up this YA fantasy thing. And I know that's not going to be you, Corinne, because you have already told me, <laughs> told everybody, like, that's not your thing. But one of us will have to pick up the, the YA fantasy to make sure we represent. So um, we can fight over that later. <laughs> so, all right, well, why don't we get into our top five picks? I can't wait to hear what everybody's choices are this year. Um, why don't we start with the person who said they're not quite ready? Maybe Fiona. <laughs> We're helping you to make your choice like now. <laughs> what is your number five pick, Fiona? Thank you, Virginia. Yeah, I do appreciate the pressure. It helps sometimes. Um, and I did I, like I had a clear moment where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the one. My number five pick 
is a children's graphic novel uh, that reads up definitely for teens and I would recommend it for adults as well. Kareen is like curiously looking over if she can see what it is, but it's on my phone, so she can't. Now she can. Salt Magic uh, by Hope Larson and illustrations by Rebecca Mock. Hope Larson is a, oh, what's the word? Experienced graphic novel artist. Uh, she has written many excellent graphic novels, including Goldie Vance and Compass South, um, some great series uh, with illustrations by other artists. And then she has some she's done on her own. I'm a big fan. So uh, this one kind of flew under the radar this year, but I was very excited when I saw it on the shelf and could pick it up. It is about Von Seal, I believe it's pronounced, uh, who is a farm girl living in mm, the South during World War One, And her very best and favorite brother is on the front lines. And that is rough for her because they have always been very close. When he comes back, he's not the boisterous boy she remembers. He's a serious man and he has news. He is going to be getting married to a woman that Von Sale cannot stand, mostly probably because she's jealous that she takes so much of her brother's time. However, it turns out uh, that her brother is actually kind of running away from someone. He fell in love with a beautiful nurse on the front lines who just happens to be a witch. And when she finds out that he is getting married, she is angry and she puts a curse on their family to, to poison their well, which is a huge issue because there have been droughts. So Fonzil, being the plucky heroine that she is, decides that she will track down the witch and she will get her to change her mind. So this is where it gets pretty fun. I feel like, you know, that maybe is not the most unique. Like it might not sound like, oh, okay, yeah, like I know where this is going. But from there, it just kind of gets crazy. <laughs> the witch has these like, Lovers who she wants to live forever, but her um, <laughs> but her spells don't work. And so they're just like encased in salt. And the witch is really upset about that. So she's like, um, she's not just evil. She's like disappointed because she's fallen in love. And then she turns her, her, her lover into salt. Um, so that's pretty upsetting, I guess. Then there is an amazing uh, other witch that Von Seal finds for help uh, who is like a candy witch and she turns things into sugar and she is spooky and creepy and has an army of discarded dolls. <laughs> so my only complaint was that that character came in quite late, like in the last quarter of the book. Uh, and she was by far the best part of the whole graphic novel. So it's a lot of fun, a uh, little fantasy, a little historical fiction, definitely a fun, energetic heroine with a worthwhile cause. And the art, of course, is absolutely beautiful. That is Salt Magic, written by Hope Larson and illustrated by Rebecca Mock. It is aimed at children, but definitely has teen and adult appeal. Thank you, Fiona. And how's the color palette, Fiona? So good. It's all like soft, purpley, and pinky. It's lovely. Sounds good. Thanks for asking. 
Oh, great. Thank you. We can always count on you to give a good graphic novel recommendation. So thank you for that. All right, Liz, what have you got for your number five pick? Okay, so for number five, it was a little dicey because I wasn't quite sure, does this go on my honorable mentions or does it stay in spot number five? But I have committed and I have decided to go with a book that hasn't really uh, gotten a lot of buzz around uh, these parts, meaning this part of the world. And this one is called... Shelf Life Chronicles of a Cairo Bookseller, and it is by Nadia Wasaf. Um, now, this falls in the category of uh, memoir, but I'd say it's part personal memoir and it is uh, part history of Egypt and sort of a dissection of what is going on today in their culture, their society, and their educational system. So Wasaf, along with her sister and a friend who are also female, established an independent bookstore called Diwan in Cairo, Egypt in 2002. Now, through a lot of hard work and perseverance, they eventually expanded this to become a chain of 10 stores within Egypt. 10 stores notwithstanding, just even establishing the one initial Diwan uh, was groundbreaking. You've got these female entrepreneurs opening a business, being the managers, managing the staff in an industry where, sadly, book publishing was incredibly state-regulated. There was very poor uh, quality control, so both in terms of the diversity of content as well as the actual physical quality of the books. A lot of this stuff was not meant to last, not meant to be disseminated and distributed and uh, enjoyed over and over again. Just a lot of sort of political uh, and religious and cultural leanings that were being um, imposed upon this particular industry. So what Wasef and her team at Diwan sought to do was to bring in books, not only from the Western world, she was Western educated, um, and in a rather position of privilege, so it's important to keep that in mind when reading her story, but to also bring in books about Egypt's history. And not just uh, sort of the history of recent memory or the history that the government wanted everybody to learn, but also uh, about ancient history in Egypt and the times of the pharaohs and how how their stories, how um, their practices, how I guess their legends, you could call them, influenced the Egypt that we know today. So part insight into the social state of Egypt, part memoir. I'd say this might not be for everybody because Wasef does not mince words. She declares herself a feminist, but she, man, her language sometimes I think, um, I think uh, would even be sort of eye-opening to some of us here in the Western world. But if that kind of doesn't deter you, if you like stories where the author tells it like it is, where she's brutally candid about her personal feelings, about what's gone on in her life, um, her children, her marriages, her bookstores, um, her life as a businesswoman in Egypt, a very patriarchal society, then I think you just may enjoy Shelf Life, Chronicles of a Cairo Bookseller by Nadia Wasaf. Thank you, Liz. Thank you for highlighting a book that, like you said, may, people may not have heard of, but it sounds like a really interesting read. You know, I love that combination of the memoir, but also like kind of a bit more history. So thank you for that. All right, Miss Corrine, would you like to tell us your number five pick? 
I mean, I would love to tell you because I genuinely don't know myself. So hopefully it will become very apparent in the next two to three seconds. Um, Okay. I think I'm going to go actually with a book that reps Sadie because although Sadie is not here on this uh, podcast at the moment, I feel like I have to represent her and her interests well. So my fifth book of the year combines good, solid thriller writing with one of my favorite, very specific esoteric research areas of interest, which is Bletchley Park and Enigma Machines. What I would love to do more than anything in the world you have to go to Bletchley Park to get it, but you can actually build your own Enigma machine. So I'm already, I have like a solder that I'm ready to do this and you can get all the pieces and then you can actually construct it yourself and then have your very own Enigma machine because it is one of those just like brilliantly simplistic and then complicated machines that once you understand how it works, you're like, how could anyone put this together? And then the other side of it is how could anyone break these codes? So for anyone who is not particularly up on their World War II cryptography, an an Enigma machine was a German encoder. So it almost looked like a typewriter, but there were different wheels in it that you could spin every day and you would type a letter and it would spit out a different letter on the other side. So this is how essentially they made codes to communicate. They had different codes to communicate for their Air Force, for their kind of internal leadership team, for their Navy, and they would all use these particular machines which were deemed unbreakable, uncrackable, because unless you knew what the wheels specifically were set at on that day, and they changed them every day, you would have no chance of figuring out what the code was. And this was one of the very first mechanized ciphers that had ever been made. It was deemed uncrackable, and the Germans truly believed this code was unbreakable. But thanks to the work of a lot of Polish crypt analysts and the work of those in Bletchley Park in England, which was a very secret facility where they brought together all the great brains of the England and the Commonwealth to break this, they actually did. This story takes place in Bletchley Park. It is the story of three friends turned enemies. It is the story of Olsa, who is a debutante, who lives a wonderful life of privilege, who may or may not be dating Prince Philip, you know, like you do. Um, It is the story of Mab, who grew up in East End poverty and is hoping that if she goes to Bletchley Park and works there, that she might be able to snag a really rich husband who will kind of lift her out of her situation that she finds herself in right now. And it is also the story of Beth, the downtrodden daughter of the uh, person that Olsa and Mab are boarding with, who conceals behind her kind of mousy exterior a brilliant and untapped mind. All of these three friends are swept together into Bletchley Park and its world and eventually become fast friends, but a horrible betrayal breaks their friendship apart. The story also picks up in 1947. The war is over. The world is celebrating the impending marriage of Princess Elizabeth and Prince Philip, but these three friends receive a strange encrypted missive in the mail that warns that during their time at Bletchley, there was a traitor among them who betrayed the entire country. And so these three enemies decide to join forces one last time to root out the last enemy of Bletchley Park. 
This is the third book by the author Kate Quinn, author of The Alice Network and The Huntress. It is her book, The Rose Code. So if you are looking for a historical thriller mystery and you will essentially read anything about Enigma machines because you're really deep into that nerdy mechanical stuff and just love cryptanalysm, um, this is the book for you. And I felt like I just needed to to like rep a Sadie book for this time. I know Sadie's a big fan of Kay Quinn. So I'm, I'm here to represent that. Thank you, Miss Corrine. That sounds like also very much like a you book, not just a Sadie book. I feel it, it, and anything that has to do with Bletchley Park, I will pick up. I have read so many memoirs. I have read so many like electrical treatises on how they work. I've seen the diagrams of an Enigma machine inside of it. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, it was a good thriller and it was a good like story time that happens in two different time periods. Are you bouncing back and forth, which I know both Sadie and I really enjoy. Very Sadie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like there's a library program coming. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. So uh, for my number five pick, I also feel like I need to represent somebody who's not on this panel, but it's a book that me and one of this co my co-workers sort of, I feel like we bonded over this book. It's always really exciting when you find a book that like someone else is also super exciting, especially when it is not a very common book. So I'm just like really excited about that. Um, so many, many books can take this number five spot, but this kind of reminded me of how much I love these really weird, strange, surreal stories. It reconnected me back to books that I used to read when I was in university. And it kind of started this year of like, I'm looking for books that are kind of like this. And I read this book during our spring readathon. And initially I was attracted to it because it was described as Douglas Adams meets David Lynch meets Franz Kafka. So, I mean, really, what else do I want, right? So it is Kill Them All by Pasha Mala, and I am doing this book for you, Heather. I'm also going to beat Fiona to it because this is my candidate pick. So anyway, so the story is we have this unnamed narrator and author who has who's doing a writer-in-residence kind of program, but not at a library, not at a university, but at a shopping mall. And he thought that it would be fun because he loves the mall. You know, you get to stay there all day, but also you get to do sleepovers there. So he was super excited about that. And all he has to do is like engage with the public during the day, whatever that means, and also to hand in some like weekly reports. So he thought, yeah, no problem. I can do that. But of course, things are not quite what it seems. The mall is not quite what it seems. And even just on the first night when the mall closes and the security guard takes him to his room and then she locked him in. <laughs> that maybe gives him a hint that there's something not quite right here. So strange, creepy things are happening. And most of them involve clumps of hair <laughs> That's, <laughs> that are alive. <laughs> and it is creepy, but also like super hilarious. I love those ponytails so much. Anyway, the mall turns into this one big haunted fun house, basically. It is creepy it is funny at the same time and it's all about like is this really happening or is it all in his mind so if you are ready for like a wild surreal weird ride um check out kill the mall by pasha mala still gross it was gross when you talked about it before it's gross now on the other hand does kind of make me want to read it i totally want to read it i totally do it is so good yeah <laughs> Yeah, you can talk. You can talk to me and Heather about it. You know, we just yeah definitely bonded over that book. Um, so yeah, so that is our number five pick. 
all right, I feel like they're all quite, you know, like they track, they, they are similar to what we expect each of us to pick. I feel like this is a good, yeah. Um, before I go on, the other thing we, we did last year was we tried to figure out how many duplicates there are among us. And I feel like this year, there's not going to be that many. I know there's one and that's it. I think there's only one this year. There's one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> So you can wait for this historic moment that is going to come <laughs> at some point, at some point in these two episodes. But I feel like one, what do you think, Liz, Fiona? I'm going to say zero. Ooh. Oh, that's so bold. Not feeling it this year. Yeah, I know I definitely don't have any crossover. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure Liz doesn't. Yeah, so that leaves it down to you two, which means one, yeah. I want to know what Sadie's are. I really want to know. Like, you know, maybe there'd be overlap there. Yeah, I don't know. Yes, we will find out. We will find out. Okay, so the guesses are one or zero. Well, let's see who's right. All right, uh, number four pick, Liz. I know I'm going out of order. I'm being weird. Yes, I, yeah, I've got it all down. So surprise, Liz. What is your number four pick? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I, it's okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, so my number four pick, this was not difficult to include this book on my list. And it's one that I included on um, a previous episode um, from just a couple months ago in October. It was our Halloweeny. Yes, that's a word now. Our Halloweeny words episode, uh, because this book is called Ghost Forest and it's by Piction Fung. Um, I won't go into a lot of detail about this book, but... I picked this book up, not entirely realizing what it was about, what the main premise of the story was. And I think if it wasn't written in incredibly short chapters, we're talking like one to two pages here, um, kind of going through time, looking at different people's perspectives. I think this book would have broken me. Um, I remember on the episode when I was talking about the book, I got teary eyed because this book is about um, a woman who's family came to Vancouver, Canada, when she was a child from Hong Kong, um, and her father stayed behind to continue um, his job in Hong Kong. So he would go every year to visit the family, and then he would return and live the remainder of the year in their original home country. And so that was what was coined at the time as being um, an astronaut parent or an astronaut father. And apparently it was very common uh, during that period in um, Vancouver's history. So what really broke me about this was that when the narrator's past high school, when she is entering uh, art school, college, um, that's when she find out, finds out that her father is very ill. Um, so she is visiting with him and she recounts a lot of their conversations along the way. And, you know, some people don't say the words, I love you. And um, this is something that they had trouble with. But with her being raised primarily in a Western culture, these were the words that she wanted to hear. These were the words that she wanted to tell her father. And these were the words that she wanted to hear from him. Um, so this, as the story progresses, it kind of navigates her attempt at reconciling her thoughts about her father's illness, um, what that means for him and their family, what it's like to be sort of caught in between two cultures and how she can reconcile the two and sort of uh, find her peace with her relationship with her father. And a quote that just, just about broke me on the last episode 
uh, when I read it out loud was when the narrator's mother said, trees want to be still, but the wind won't stop blowing. When children want to care for their parents, it's already too late. Uh, so I think that really hits home, regardless of what your culture is, what your background is. We kind of think our parents will be there forever, but sadly they won't. So beautiful, beautifully written book. Again, the chapters are very short, but I feel like, you know, that's all the more a testament to how Fung is just very so conservative and yet so impactful with her words. So if you are up for <laughs> a bit of an emotional uh, ride, that doesn't, it doesn't wallow in self-pity, but it is, it can be quite emotional if you've had thoughts on mortality and uh, family, then Ghost Forest, I pick Shun Fang, um, would be a good pick for you. Thank you, Liz. Um, you talk about that book and I, I, would really like to read it, but I don't think I can handle it. I think I will die <laughs> if I read that. <laughs> the things are just a little too close to home. So, but thank you for sharing that book with us. Um, yeah, so I will again weird random order. So I'm gonna go next. Most of my books I have talked about on this show already because they're, they're just so great. Like, so I'm just going to talk about it again. Um, this is a book uh, that I talk about at the most anticipated episode. I was reading it because it was recommended by DJ Clune, recommended by Charlie Jane Anders. It is my heartwarming found family read of this year. There's usually only just one. So for like two days, my stone cold heart melt a little bit. Um, so <laughs> I'm calling this this the House of the Syrian Sea of 2021. It is Light from Uncommon Stars by Rika Aoki. It is just the perfect mashup of fantasy, magic, and science fiction together. When you, you know, sort of read the synopsis, you're like, well, like a violent teacher who delivers souls to hell because they made a bargain with the devil. A young transgender girl running away from home trying to find a safe space. A mother of four who's also a refugee from space because they were running away from an intergalactic war, trying to settle on Earth and trying to make a living running a donut shop. None of those things should really go together in a book, but they do because Rika Aoki is amazing and like her writing is so good and she makes everything works. This is a story of like three people finding each other, getting that sense of belonging that they have never had in their lives, lifting each other up and while showing us also at the same time how this world kind of sucks, you know, like and the cruel, transphobic, anti-immigrant world that we lived in. Um, and one reviewer, I think I really like the way they described this book. They said it's a transformatively compassionate book. And I think that's really, really like just exactly how this book feels when I read it. It's what I want my science fiction, what my want my fantasy to be. So yeah, so I feel like if you're looking for that book to feel that giant hold off the house in the Cerulean Sea, you know, winter is coming and you like need something warm, but also kind of like heartbreaking at the same time, just sort of like what Liz said is it's tough. It's a tough subject, but yet it is still very hopeful please do check out this amazing, amazing book. I think even if you don't really read a lot of science fiction or fantasy, I think you will still really enjoy it because it's such a character-driven book. Um, so thank you for writing this amazing book. So it is Light from Uncommon Stars by Rika Aoki. All right. I think Liz also read this book. Did you finish it? I don't remember. Yes. Okay, good. So good. So good. 
two two recommendations for you. Uh, and I have it at home right ooh, now. Oh, there you go. There you go. All right. Uh, Fiona, let's go back to you. What is your number four pick? For number four, I have another graphic novel. Uh, but this one is uh, in our adult section. Uh, it is a wonderful slice of life, a magical realism that just was extremely unique. I am talking about Shadow Life by Hiromi Goto and uh, with illustrations by Anzu. So this is a book about a woman in her 70s who has been widowed and her, her children have recently put her into a assisted living home and she hates that. <laughs> so she runs away from the assisted living home, but she does have all her faculties and she finds her own apartment and just is loving this new freedom, this choice to pick her own food, to decorate anything, any way that she wants. She pulls things out of the garbage to put around her home. Can't figure out why people threw them away. She has this beautiful, lovely relationship with her landlord, who's a young, middle-aged kind of man who helps her fix things up for her apartment. And she is kind of just living her best life in her 70s until the shadow of death visits her. However, Kumiko is a resourceful woman and she sucks the shadow of death up into her newly purchased vacuum cleaner. And then she closes it all up and shoves it in the closet. <laughs> and she begins to make connections with people in this moment, in this dire moment of kind of realizing, is this the end of my life? Which is an interesting time to start to, you know, meet people. So um, there's a there's a wonderful cast of characters, a young kind of punk, maybe gender ambiguous person who works at the vacuum store, um, who's very saucy, and they uh, have a lot of funny banter. Her overproductive daughter whom she has kept her address secret from and uh, she just sends her emails and her daughter's always like mom email me every day you need to tell me where you live and they have to like uh, she gets her other sister and they try to like track down where her mom is living living based on little tiny clues and then also a young woman or a woman who is from Kumiko's past when they were young women, uh, which is when it's revealed that Kumiko is actually bisexual because her husband or she was married to a man, um, but has previously had a relationship with a woman. So it was pretty cool to read about this uh, woman in her 70s who uh, lived a bisexual life and is this vibrant, funny character. I laughed so much and identified a lot with the main character, which, you know, maybe says something about me when when she's in her 70s. Um, but yeah, it is just a beautiful combination of this sort of you know, funny magical realism where she's got this little spirit in her vacuum, but she's also interacting with this hilarious cast of characters and exploring what it means to be alive in, you know, kind of at the end of her life. And of course, beautiful, beautiful illustrations. I don't remember the color palette, so maybe it was in black and white. 
but the illustrations were good enough that uh, that that was still very interesting to me. Um, yeah, totally unique graphic novel as Hiromi Goto tends to be, kind of just off the wall and and very much doing what nobody else is. So I was so excited to uh, see their work in graphic novel form. Strongly recommend Shadow Life. Oh, and you can see here, uh, she is in a sweatsuit and she is holding up her vacuum on the front cover, sort of like maybe in a little bit of a battle pose. Sounds delightful. Sounds so good. I feel like, listen, Corinne, you might have already read it. Not yet. Maybe not. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll have to fight for that because I like to get it right now. That sounds great. Thank you, Fiona. All right, Miss Corinne, your number four pick, please. All right. Uh, number four is the one I'm going to zag on. Number four is the one that I'm not going to go with what I would traditionally think as a Korean book or quite frankly, even a Korean format. I am for my number four pick of 2021 going to go with a book of poetry. And I, I know everyone is gasping and quite frankly, I'm kind of gasping at myself. Um, but when I made this list, I tried to think about books that kind of like elicited a strong feeling because sometimes feelings are hard when life is hard feeling feelings is hard and I, I I so I wanted to pick books that kind of like elicited like a very strong emotional response and then I also wanted to pick ones that kind of come to mind like sometimes I'll find myself just thinking about or mulling over something that they said and when it came down to it this this collection of poetry a format that I do not read. And I will be perfectly honest, this is the only book of poetry that I read this year. Um, I love a novel in verse, but I don't often read poetry. There, there are parts and poems and thoughts in this collection that I still think about and mull over. Um, and so I really wanted to highlight it. And so this is the collection by Jasmine Mann's Black Girl Call Home. And it is, um, as described by the author, a celebration of Black girlhood, a journey to find truth, uh, belonging, and a journey to find home, whatever that might mean. She kind of explores her, her culture, her community, her queerness, does commentary on, on big social issues. And yeah, it, it is, it's, it's a beautiful beautiful love letter to to being a black girl and to 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 home and yeah there there are parts of it and poems and sections and and just the way that she approaches big questions that I just in my moments of sitting and thinking about nothing I often return to um, which I didn't think I would do so I I love that 2021 has kind of expanded my horizons and has made me uh, consider a format and maybe discover some new voices that I, I that I wouldn't have. So yeah, that is Black Girl Call Home by Jasmine Manns. And if you are looking for a an entry level introduction to poetry, this 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 is a great one to start with if you're interested in exploring some some black feminist queer voices. I cannot recommend um, this one enough. And you know what? Maybe I will even pick up another book of poetry this year. Thank you, Miss Corinne. Surprise pick. Thank you. <laughs> Blows our mind. Um, all right. Well, that is our 
number four pick. So let's go into our number three pick. So this will be our last round for this episode. And then next week, we're going to review our top two. So I'm going to go first with this one. Uh, same thing, just like Corinne. I feel like, yes, I have a specific book in mind for number three, but it kind of also belongs to a format uh, because it was a format that I feel like I discovered this year. And finally, I figured out a way to enjoy this format because I couldn't couldn't do it before. And so, yeah, so now I'm really like, I'm kind of obsessed with it now. And so I'm really excited. Um, and I think this particular book, which is the second one that I read, was kind of what reinforced that for me. It was like, okay, this is what this is all about. And I love it. And I can't wait. And I think just sort of like uh, Fiona mentioned earlier, it was also like I the, the the right type for me was also the whole magical realism bit. That was what really got me. Like, you know, I feel like we live in a world these days that are kind of like, it's a real world. We know it is real, but also there's a lot of weird, strange things happening. And that kind of, kind of feel like those, these stories. And so the book that I have for my topic is, I know some people would be pretty happy to see this, The Rock Eaters by Brenda <laughs> Pinato. <laughs> <laughs> you can hear the yes, this is because we run this staff contest of what book, <laughs> what book, you know, like is people staffing and people have to guess it. And you can tell that like some people got it right. Um, so there it is. Um, yeah. So the way for me to enjoy short story apparently is to go with a collection by a one offer because I had so much trouble trying to do those anthology thing. I even made everybody did an anthology episode because I felt like that would be my end, but it doesn't work for me because when I read, I like to spend like an hour or two in a book and I like having to switch point of views was really hard. And I find with a single kind of offer collection, the voice, the writing style do carry through all the stories and it really unifies them. And I feel like I get to know the author even maybe more so because I can see how they tackle different stories and how they like create different characters. And I feel like I get to know them even more. So I'm like slightly obsessed with them now. And I'm glad because there's so many out there, um, you know, that I have never venture into so now I have like a whole bunch of to be like a whole bunch of collections on my to be read list but um this collection I think why it 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 works for me so well is because it is weird it is fantastical it's it's kind of science fiction-y but also like speculative and it is um just like it it defy classification and all the themes in the story is about things that like feel like really, really um, important and, and has a lot of like, I think magical realism in, in many ways does a lot of like social and political commentary. And this definitely has that, um, you know, and it's lots, lots of stories about the immigrant experience, about race, about xenophobia, about the otherness um, and just like human relationships in this kind of day and age. Um, so we have stories about angels that live on your roof and they're supposed to protect you. And every day these families will go and pray to them um, until one day a school shooting happens. There are stories about pieces of bodies that like that just keep disappearing because these are people living under a dictatorship. Um, we have stories about people who literally grow rocks from their body, or grow like these stones that grows from their bodies when they first experience the first sort of tragedy and you kind of literally carry this along with you until one day when you can finally, like it just falls out into this lake called the Lake of Sorrows. We have these aliens who have fled their planet to come to arrive on earth and 
totally being unwelcomed by anybody who buys kites so that they can fly up to the sky and try to remember what it's like to be home. The title story, Rock Eaters, is about these families who have left their home country and they have gone on to try to find a new life. And now they're coming back to their island nation, coming back to show off like how they're like well, well to do now. They have like they have things now, but yet their kids. They eat rocks literally, so they can ground them, so they don't fly away again,、um, because they don't want to leave their home. So all sort of these stories, they are just so strange, set in so set in real world, but yet so weird and so strange.、Um, and you know that there's something not quite right about it. All of them packs a punch, and I just. Love, love, love all of them.、Um, so yeah, so this is what like sort of decided for me that yes, short stories can actually work for me、um, as long as I find the right collection. So,、uh, Rock Eaters by Brenda Pinado. All right, let's go to Miss Corinne. She's viciously trying to cram through her list to figure out which one she wants to talk about. <laughs> I love leaving things to the last minute because it really like crystallizes your vision. And weirdly enough, I do have two books. They're not a, they're not a fourth book, or they're not a fifth book, and they're not a second book or a first book. They're both three books. <laughs> they're both three, so it's really hard to decide between them. But I think at the end of the day, and in the next few seconds, my my pick for number three book of the year is a National Book Award finalist, richly richly deserved. Which is the Legend of Auntie Po by、uh, Shing Yinkor, and this is a middle grade graphic novel. But I would honestly encourage anyone to pick it up. It is a a beautiful graphic novel about a young girl named May. She's thirteen years old.、Um, it is eighteen eighty five, and she is growing up in a rough and tumble logging camp in the Sierra Nevada. So she is there with her father, who is the camp cook, surrounded by、uh, workers of different races and different classes, and she is the one who bakes the best pies. She makes the best pies in the entirety of Colorado. We're gonna go with Colorado. See, that's why I was trying to cram it. I, my geography is not good.、Um, she makes the best pies. Anyone who else who tries to make pies, including her best friend、um, B, they just can't get it right.、Um, so May loves to work alongside her father in the kitchen, and everyone appreciates the work that she does. By day she makes pies. By night she gathers all the kids from the camp and tells them the legends of Auntie Po. Now. May reimagines the character of Paul Bunyan to be this tall, taller than the tallest white pine Chinese auntie with her、uh, blue buffalo named Pepe, and together they have adventures with giant mosquitoes, or the biggest tree that they ever captured, or how she. Punched a bear in the face, like she regales the entire camp with these stories of Antipo. However, with the start of the Chinese Exclusion Act, the friendships and the partnerships that have been built in the camp begin to fracture and tear apart. The workers start to turn against each other. Her own friend B and her father start trying to pay the Chinese workers less, and. May feels more and more isolated from this world, this kind of little world that she has grown up in, and starts to really worry about her future. 
She also is developing some romantic feelings for her friend B that she doesn't know what to do with and she doesn't understand what they are. This is a... It's not a reimagining. And honestly, um, the author's note at the end of this book brought me to tears. It's really, really beautiful. Um, She says, I sought to tell a single specific story, a story about one queer Chinese-American girl contending with her place in a world that isn't catering to her needs, the tension and friendship of marginalized working class navigating proximity to whiteness for both the privilege and violence violence it confers, and a story about who gets to own a myth. I hope it is read as that specific story. It is a beautiful, not a retelling, not a reimagining, but a rediscovery of these stories of many marginalized and people of color in American mythmaking and Canadian mythmaking as well, as whose story gets told, whose legends become the, the national myths, and, and who gets to have their voice represented well-deserving of a National Book Finalist um, nomination. And I would really, really encourage anyone who grew up on maybe Little House on the Prairie or who has this very specific idea of of what a pioneer life was like to really pick up this book and, and learn it and love it. Because at the end of the book, you will just want to give May the biggest hug ever. Um, it's also a beautiful story of her and her father. And yeah, I may have weeped at several instances. It's a weeper, but it's so good. Thank you, Corinne. Thank you. That sounds great too. Oh my gosh, like I'll TBR. We need another one of those TBR episodes. <laughs> like, so that we can all like read some more stuff from it. All right, Liz. What is your number three pick? Okay, so I've got another book that I feel flew under the radar uh, this year. And granted, this book is about a pandemic. So I totally understand everybody. If you heard the word pandemic, you read some review about it and were like, I don't care how good this book is. I don't want to read about a fictional pandemic. Well, we are living in a real world pandemic. However... This book uh, has a different spin on things um, that I thought was very well uh, presented. This one is called The End of Men, and it is by Christina Sweeney Baird. Now, the year is 2025, and a highly contagious virus has been detected in Scotland by Dr. Amanda McLean. However, when she writes an urgent report to the health authority, She is dismissed as being hysterical. What are you talking about? They probably just have a very severe form of flu. Where have we seen this before? Anyhow, she's dismissed as hysterical. And to the detriment of the entire world, this virus spreads extremely rapidly. Now, the unique thing about this particular contagion is that only men are affected by this virus. Only males are affected. Uh, And so this has been coined in the media as being the male plague. Now, there are some rare exceptions. You know, as we have seen in medical science, sometimes things happen and we don't know why. And there are some males out there who are not affected by this. They're like the unicorns, the pegasus of society now. So as the male population dwindles, there are these few unicorns out there. Anyhow, 
I do want to say, don't mistake this for being an anti-male story, even though it is called The End of Men. This book shows how balance is really important in our society. Uh, Balance of viewpoints, balance of opinions, balance of what we all bring to the table. Ultimately, we are all human. And this book shows us how both the absence of males, as well as um, how the existence of gender-based dismissal of female capabilities can both negatively impact our society. Sweeney Baird talks about different storylines. It's a lot to keep track of, but she has different chapters dedicated to different people in our story. Um, They range from women who have traditional families with children and a husband, the doctors, the people who are virologists um, looking to find a cure for this plague, Um, working with the existing men in the field of science who are still alive. What happens to our population? What happens to our social structures, our food system, our political system? What happens all across the world when we have a decimation of literally half of the population? What would happen in this situation? So regardless of, you know, male, female, it's an interesting look at you know, how we can continue on as a society, how we find ways to carry on and survive, and how we can adapt. So if you are open to reading about a pandemic while in a pandemic, or maybe, you know, you'll want to file this away and revisit this in, I don't want to put a timeline on it, but in the future, when we are not in an actual pandemic, uh, you may want to check out The End of Men by Christina Sweeney Baird. Thank you, Liz. I feel like we're in for a, a many, many pandemic novels that are going to be coming. <laughs> well, at least many pandemic novels were written during the pandemic that talk about the pandemic. So, I, you know, I, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Fiona, last one in the round. What have you got for your number three pick? Now for something completely different. <laughs> My third pick is a very me novel by an author that I love about a subject that I love, I guess. <laughs> it is a YA contemporary novel. I am talking about Pumpkin by Julie Murphy. So um, this is actually the third in the Dumpling series, um, but they are loosely connected uh, with some reoccurring characters, each starring their own teen of the same high school. Uh, So you can definitely read it as a standalone. And while it follows many of the same themes, I was very excited to have a gay male character as the lead for this one. He is oh i'm just trying to remember what his name is um waylon waylon is a fiery haired twin who is flamboyant and fat and though he is a very self-confident and proud to be gay he tends to keep it on the down low at school he is waiting until he graduates to fully emerge out of his cocoon and be the gayest, proudest version of himself when he moves to Texas with his dear twin, Clementine. 
Waylon is not expecting the cluster mess of things that his final uh, months in high school turn out to be. First of all, his sibling uh, Clementine has been keeping a secret from him, which is not only devastating for his future uh, because it completely changes his well-thought-out plans, it's also devastating because she is the closest person to him and he can't believe that she would ever keep a secret. While he has not always been close to her girlfriend, Hannah, throughout this experience, he, he starts to get a little bit closer to her. And she's actually a reoccurring character from, um, from Dumplin'. Uh, she is the kind of like feisty, mm, punk-ish, lesbian. Uh, he thinks she's uh, she has a Dominican grandma and uh, she's just a really great character. So it was exciting to see her sort of a, thrown a little bit more into uh, the forefront. And then there is also the boy at the gas station who Waylon is secretly seeing. They'll go in the back room and make out. But it seems that this boy is too embarrassed to come out and let people know that him and Waylon are a thing. So it is then devastating to Waylon when he does decide to come out, but it's not for Waylon, it's for another boy. So all of these things start to fall apart in Waylon's life, and he's really just been thinking about it as a placeholder, as a way to get through the rest of high school, and suddenly there's all these things he has to deal with. On top of that, there is a nomination uh, for the prom queen which is announced and includes Waylon himself so uh this is where things get pretty fun uh because Waylon decides to dabble in drag he is a big fan of the basically RuPaul's drag race but whatever they call it in the book and he puts out a just a, like a silly pretend audition tape uh, for the show and his well-meaning sister shares it with a friend who shares it with a friend who shares it with a friend suddenly it is all over town Waylon can no longer hide and then he is nominated for prom queen the nomination which he decides to go through through the urging of Hannah who was also nominated as prom king actually entails a lot more than he expected. So for prom court, they actually have to do community service. They have to prepare a legacy uh, project for the school. And Waylon is partnered with King nomination nominee, none other than uh, Russell, I want to say his name is, Russell, uh, who is, has always given uh, Waylon the cold shoulder and he's pretty sure he hates him and he might even be homophobic. Well, I think it's no secret to the reader um, that his reasons for avoiding Waylon are actually a little bit different than Waylon expects. And there's a very cute love story kind of in Julie Murphy's regular vein of flamboyant, um, fun person with low self-esteem meets manly, 
sensitive um, and maybe secretly queer uh, popular boy. <laughs> so I, I gotta say it's, it's like maybe a Julie Murphy trope that I, I really love and enjoy every time. She always kind of managed to spin things, um, in a unique way for each character. And they're always such a joy to get to know and, and someone that you really, really root for. Um, so this one did not disappoint. Definitely as good as Dumplin' and Puddin'. Check out Pumpkin. I can tell how much you love this book because you just have this smile the whole time you were talking about it. So, well, and it's a it's a high school, so it has lots of people. So, like, if each book they do one, then this could be go on forever. Oh my gosh, I hadn't even thought about that. All right, well, those are our three to five picks. Number three to five. Um, so tune in next week. Next week we will review our top two picks so thank you to my book friends i know this was agonizing um down to the last minute but you know what like it's only on the show that's that's how that's how we pick because there's you don't have a choice anymore you don't have any more time so but thank you for that um so get your two other picks ready to go for next week maybe and we will see you all again next week hey bye-bye thank you for listening if you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm-hmm.